W. Somerset Maugham once said, At a dinner party, one should eat wisely, but not too well, and talk well, but not too wisely. A hard balance to strike, but we give it our best shot, right? When was your last dinner party, and how did you do? I think mine was right before the pandemic, and if I remember correctly, I think I talked too much, I ate in weird bursts, and then I kept talking too much. That probably doesn't surprise you to hear. Why am I even talking about this? Well, because it comes up today in the conversation that I had with my guest. Uh, eating dinner, but eating dinner with strangers and trying to pull all that Somerset mom stuff off. We talk a lot about other things too, but I thought I'd open up with dinner. Who's my guest? Well, you'll know in about 75 seconds. So sit tight. I'm Alex Green, and this is the dinner edition of Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. They pay to take control, so let them have control. You and I got a rock to roll. And when they make demands, we'll be holding hands, strong as any wall that stands. Go ravage the earth to make it a home. The belly beast, yeah, the hunger makes you cruel. We're still walking. That is the music of my guest today on the program, Lou Barlow. Let me tell you a little bit about Lou Barlow. If you have some time on your hands and you're compiling a list of the kings of the indie rock Grand Slam, that list is going to be short. But Lou Barlow is going to be on it. The Ohio-born Barlow has Dinosaur Jr., Sebado, The Folk Implosion, and his solo career on his CV, and that's only a partial list. That doesn't even include Centrodo or Deep Wound. Yes, Lou Barlow has been a major part of major bands that were all groundbreaking and game-changers in terms of sound, recording approach, and aesthetic. He's been on labels like SST, Homestead, Sub Pop, Merge, and Domino, and he's one of the most recognizable and adored indie rock dudes of all time. So yes, Lou Barlow is a founding member of three groundbreaking indie rock outfits, and his solo career has yielded several remarkable albums, including his fabulous new one, Reason to Live. I'll get to that in a second, but before I do, I want to say this about Lou. A songwriter of startling depth, introspection, and pinpoint emotional accuracy, Lou Barlow is, to put it simply, one of the best we've got. Over the course of his career, he's collaborated with Mike Watt, Stephen Merritt, Dale Crover of the Melvins, and Belgian musician Rudy Trouvet. He's both vulnerable and brave, his work redolent with intimacy, observational wisdom, and longing. And guess what? Reason to Live might very well be his best work yet. Somehow managing to be both layered and spare, this album is filled with breezy acoustic numbers, rolling pop jangles, and textured indie rock that's catchy, memorable, and moving. It's brilliant work. I can't wait for you to meet this guy. Here's me and Lou Barlow having a chat right here on Stereo Embers, 
the podcast. like to be home and to be loving your life with your kids and your wife and everything's cool, but you feel the tendency to even go insular while you're there. How do you balance that? I don't know. That's why I'm kind of lucky. I'm why I'm lucky thing. I I'm glad things are kind of, you know, getting back to normal or that I might be resuming my, uh, my former life. Um, Cause I, I did find that kind of disturbing actually. <laughs> <laughs> a little deeper than I wanted to, <laughs> wanted to go, but I, yeah, I found it a little disturbing, you know. I mean, I, I it would definitely be, I would, um, yeah, I would have to, I would have to do, if my life didn't, if if life was to never go back to to what it was for me, like touring and traveling, um, I would, I would definitely be like finding, I would be doing a lot. I mean, I'm already doing a lot of. Uh, a lot of soul searching and a lot of like really getting in and changing the way I think about things. I would have to do a lot more of that. <laughs> and even actually now leaving is I'm going to have to do some of that just to feel like safe leaving. You know, I, you know, I don't know. So your, your whole philosophy gets, well, first I'm glad to hear that you, cause you and I are the same age and it's nice to know that even at our age, you can change that you're not rooted in your own ways and you can you can shift your your personal philosophy or outlook. You certainly can if you want to. I mean, I, I, I've always believed that, you know, in general. But, you know, I mean, I want to I'm like, I'm I, you know, change is, you know, change is important for me. You know, I'm not really stuck in my ways. I don't think I'm right all the time. And I don't want to think I'm right. I mean, I, you know, I have, I have, yeah, <laughs> I, I'd like to think that that's a personality trait of mine. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know, but I'm willing to learn. I'm, if, if I'm wrong, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. I can, I can be wrong, you know. And you, you can take a note. In other words, if, if your wife says to you, hey, what, what's that doing? What are you doing with that? You can, you can go, I, I don't know actually what I was doing. <laughs> yeah, she, and I were, she and I were talking about that a lot today in terms of, uh, we were thinking about it in terms of therapy, you know, because therapy is like a real, it's a real buzzword for people in my family, a lot of people that I know, and I've never really been in therapy. And so I have a lot of people, I've got people in my life, you know, or who have been in my life or that think I'm like, like that I hate therapy or I'm averse, that I have this, that I don't believe in it or, and which, which is, which isn't true. It's, it's just that, uh, I find that I always have, there's relationships that I have in my life. And, and right now, you know, my primary relationship with my wife, I mean, it's, it's a very challenge. We really challenge each other, you know, cause you can't, there's only so much you can talk about your, this is the, this is the thing is I've been reading a lot of books about the brain and, and, you know, and anxiety and um, like you can, you like talking about your problems is great. But unless you actually have somebody 
or you have, I mean, you can talk about them and talk about them and talk about them, but that doesn't in itself make anything better unless you actually are challenging yourself on a, on a cognitive way and in a way that like does change the way you, if you just constantly keep re reinforcing your own narrative over and over again and creating this whole like your big story. I mean, like I had, I used to have some big stories in my life about one of my big stories was like, you know, Jay Maskus was, you know, my and dinosaur junior, I mean, that he was this, this, this ogre in, in my life that had done all these terrible things to me. And I had spent so much time painting myself as a victim and repeating this story over and over again. And always, and when, when you tell people stories like that, they go, oh, that's terrible. Oh, I can't believe he did that. Oh my God, what an awful thing. <laughs> and then you just, and then I just found out that I was just over the years, I was just creating this like shell around myself and, and just constantly reinforcing this, this narrative and, you know, and it, and it calcifies and it just becomes like this, you know, and then I don't, and I think, you know, at some point, um, some point I realized like, you know, I'm full of shit. I got to let this go. You know I mean? I had to do that myself. It's like, nobody was going to do it for me. I could have went to therapy and talked about it all day long and just constantly added to this shell, you know, and until you actually, I don't know exactly what it did in, in that case. I'm, I'm not sure, but there, there was, there were some instances, there were some things where I kind of poked through the shell and then started to dismantle it. And it's like, you know, that's where the progress comes is when you actually challenge, you challenge your own narrative, you know, and, and, and it's actually hard to find people, you know, it's, it's hard to find people who will challenge your narrative and who will say like, eh, maybe you're taking this a little bit too far, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I think that's a, that's a good friend or a good partner is someone who could say to you, maybe you were the dick in that story. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of the hero. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I've always kind of had that inclination as to, of self-examination to kind of not, to realize how I could have been the dick. You know? <laughs> it's definitely a theme in a lot of my songs and stuff. <laughs> so I do have, I do have the, I do have the ability to be that way, you know, but even then it was like, there's definitely, it's, it's just funny how you can always, it just, it never ends. Your battle against your, I mean, just sort of, my battle to not let allow myself to, you know, create this story that maybe it isn't true. <laughs> right. Well, because the more that you tell that story, the more every iteration makes you more of a hero and everybody else more of a dick. Yeah, I can. Before you tell it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Which I guess kind of ties into this idea, like just me realizing that if I was in one place, it if I was just stuck in one place, you know, like in my little town, in my little stores that I go to, and my little routes that I make, you know, that I might, it, you know, that it, I'm just saying that, like, by traveling and doing that stuff, it really does have a way of, of really breaking it up and changing perspective. Yeah, you were mentioning that you were, that you found a little bit disturbing is that the idea of being in one spot, the, you can almost feel the calcification <laughs> sort of happening, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and then and then the other thing is when I when I was in graduate school for writing, the people would talk about the books they were going to write, and mm -hmm. but they but Lou they never actually wrote them. That they got this dopamine hit from telling you about it, and it was as good as doing it. 
They never actually wrote those books. They just talked about it. And I mm-hmm. wonder that what you're saying is the same thing where you go to therapy and you say, you talk about all this stuff and then you go, well, I guess the work is done. <laughs> I don't have to do anything after that. Right, right. That's true. It kind of tricks you. So, so you feel as though I talked about this problem and now I can just go live my life. And it's like, yeah, you talked about the problem, but now you have to actually change the behavior. But that's not, that's only, that's not the work at all. The work is actually getting in and doing the thing you talked about. And that's hard. It's hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so what do you do? Do you go to Jay Mascus and say to him, Hey, listen, I think I've been a dick for 20 years. And I think I calcified this story about you and me, like how, because when you've done the work to realize that, then the other person is still in that place where you've ogred them. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't know. I guess what I guess in that situation, what's wonderful. That's it. I mean, my relationship to Jay is about about music, and it always was. We were never, we were never buds. So I don't, you know. Yeah. It's like, and I know that I like if I if I was to go up to him and like go, hey man, I'm really sorry. He would just give me this blank look, and it would be like. <laughs> so I think, the the the. I think with him, the wonderful thing is I just had to show up. We just had to show up at the same place at the same time and get to work. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Then the more, and the more we work together, the better it gets. And the more that I, you know, and, and actually, I mean, the cool thing too is, I don't know, like just some people, like you speak the same language. I don't know what it is. Like you just have some something where you talk to somebody and like, yeah, you, you, you're immediately on, on a level and you're, and you're speaking and communicating. And uh, then there's other people that doesn't happen. Yeah. That's all. It just doesn't happen. You're on like you, you're, and, and so, uh, and that's okay too. <laughs> and some yeah. of those people are people that you make music with and the music's pretty good. So it's like, it's like, do I have to be in a band with somebody that I, that totally understands me or thinks I'm a great guy? Like, no, I don't have to. I don't, I, I like, I can, as long as we are willing to show up in the same room at the same time and communicate communicate about the things that we need to communicate, which are generally, like you know, just music, and then let, then let, let's do it, you know. <laughs> yeah, and I also think the people in your life, whether they're the closest friends or, or or business friends, you get a little bit of something from everybody. You can't get everything from one person. So, you know, whatever whatever it is, your relationship with Jay, you get something from him, right? In a way that you can't get from somebody, another friend. Um, and so that's valuable. Yeah. And also, I always, I, I also like that, like, we're so, uh, our communication is so odd <laughs> that, that like almost everything seems like progress. Like, it, like progress is always possible. You know, it's like, wow, it's always possible that I can like, figure out a way like I don't know what I don't know what record I'm talking about in this interview I don't know whether I've been talking about these two records together like these the Steinister Jr. record and the uh, my solo record but I had this I had this thing for, for working on this new dinosaur record I wrote all these songs kind of at the same period like I did that some of them became dinosaur songs some of them ended up on my solo record but I knew that the songs that I brought to Dinosaur Jr. that I needed to, I need to have drums on them. And I, what I really wanted to do and what I've always wanted to do and which I've never done is ask Jay to write my drum parts, you know, like Jay, I'm going to play you this song. Can you sit down at the drum kit and come up with a drum beat for me? 
you know, like I've never done that. I've always, it's always been a really difficult thing for me to ask for. I didn't think he wanted to do it. I didn't think, you know, I just, I had all of this, all of these preconceptions surrounding that and so much almost like fear of, of imposing on him to do this, you know? But I was like, I just knew in my, my heart and my mind that like, that in order to make good, to have a, in order for my, my next offering for Dinosaur Jr. to work and to like be good, you know, or hopefully good would be to, to bridge that gap and to ask Jay Maskus the thing that I've feared asking him forever. <laughs> and I did, and it was great. And he was like, sure, I'll do that. I'm like, okay. I mean, it was like, it was all of a sudden insanely easy. It was like, I was like, wow, I invested all of this anxiety into this, these questions and, and look, look at this, it, it, it worked. And he and Murph actually sat down together and they worked together and it was wonderful. So. It, it made, and you kind of go, wow, I wasted 30 years worrying about that. <laughs> kind of, yeah. I mean, it yeah. really, it's really, it's a real, another, another one beautifully humbling but you know what? I don't know. I don't know. 30 years ago, maybe he wouldn't have. I don't know. Right. Who knows? <laughs> it doesn't matter. The great thing is that I was able to do it now, which is exactly when I needed to do it. I mean, I did, you know, I, was, I managed to survive up until that point. So. Yeah. Those, those narratives that you're talking about, I, sometimes I get myself into situations where I already decide the other person's going to say, no, I've already answered for them, which is like ridiculous. Like you need to at least give them an option of saying no to you. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I know it's so funny. Like I really, I, I face that a lot in my musical relationships with people. These, especially these on these long-term musical relationships that I have with people. Um, yeah. I kind of create a narrative and then I'm like, ah, but I, like, and then I have to breach it, you know, and I have to, I have to sort of breach my preconceptions and, and it's always, you know, it's always, it's always unique <laughs> always hard <laughs> i mean i think i think marriage sounds easier than being in a band uh it seems like communication wise it just seems to me like it's yeah. not right yeah i mean it, it, assuming that i mean yeah assuming you have a i mean i, I was reading it i read a terrifying article oh god i don't know what it, what it was in the new Yorker or something but it was about how people can get into these relationships with people lifelong relationships where they don't talk to each other. Like there'll be a couple, a married couple, married for 30 years, and they stop speaking in the third year of their marriage. That yeah. shit is scary. So I'm like, that's so scary. I, that, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I had a, I had a, you know, I'm on my second long-term relationship and my first lasted for over 20 years. And, mm. and, you know, I mean, up until the, up until the day that we, you know, that we, split you know i mean we had a we had a dialogue you know? we're talking we were talking you know um but so yes and then that way that it, it was that was a little easy you know easier than being in a band. <laughs> yeah i my grandparents were married for 60 years and they loathed each other i mean they really hated each other it was bizarre to watch it, it didn't feel as a little kid it was not really fun to be around i mean it's like these two people fucking hate each other it was yeah. very clear and yeah. um and then you see people out to dinner couples you know in the days when you could do that and you can see older couples and they, they're not talking to each other they're just sort of staring like the their big achievement is the duration of their marriage that's all they have is the number of yeah. you know 45 years 
Yeah, I've I have some like kind of odd memories, like things that stick in my mind. Like I was, I don't know, my wife and I were having dinner in Belgium once and we were sitting next to this couple who didn't talk to each other. And I've never, I mean, I I I think about that moment because I looked at them and I actually it 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 hit me so intensely the way they were not communicating and the look on their face. I mean, I was like, oh no. Like I just felt like I was seeing something tragic like I mean and, and they were really just they were just two people sitting at a table but I I I've conflated it, it while I was watching it and even the memory of it it's just it actually chills me as if I had seen as if I had seen like an like an accident or something I don't know. it sounds horrible I mean and also to borrow a line from that book big fish it's like they're like they're like strangers that know each other pretty well I mean that's all it is yeah. not not that sexy <laughs> and what about what about with kids i mean the same thing with kids where you have to communicate you got to talk to your kids right it's like that thing where i see parents because i teach tennis on the side of being mm -hmm. also a teacher and i see parents with their kids and they don't know how to talk to them i can see it uh, my my daughter is 16 now and we are it is like really intense like trying to figure out try to keep her near me in a way without you know <laughs> I don't know it's just like it's fascinating because I could see that I could see it like if I wasn't if I didn't you know I mean sometimes some these these things can be so difficult like you, people just don't you you, you don't want to deal with it you're like well we're just not going to talk and then it just becomes another day of not talking and another day and then they just it's like one right after the other and pretty soon you can you can be truly estranged and with my daughter i definitely have to be like i have to be like you know this is difficult but you're gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna try again today <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i'm gonna try again today i'm gonna try to communicate with her i'm gonna see you know you know and we it's fucking fascinating. I'm like, I'm, you know, because they're, oh, God, when they're, when they're like that age two, when they're teenagers, they're in so much pain. I mean, I <laughs> they're in so much pain. They feel so, I mean, it went, and this whole fucking like pandemic thing, oh my God, the sense of isolation and pain that, that my girl goes through i'm just i'm like oh no you know like <laughs> she just doesn't want to talk to me you know really <laughs> right but i mean but think about you at 16 imagine imagine us in the early 80s if we were stuck in the house with our parents in a pandemic even if your dad's lou barlow you're still <laughs> you're still gonna be wanting you know you're still gonna feel like oh i'm stuck i mean yeah i my daughter and my my 16 year old my 11 year old split time between my house and their mother's house so it's a little different but uh yeah um i don't know <laughs> it's been it's yeah it's a hard one how how <laughs> were your parents growing up or did you have a communication with my, my mom was a therapist so we had we had to talk um there was yeah. a lot of talking but for you and your house was there was there communication well, this is this is funny too because it, it, my wife and i were talking about exactly this you know that um my mother was like i like i actually she really kind of kept me grounded throughout my teenage years like 
I mean, it would just seem like every every few days or so, I would just be sitting at the the dinner table, just chattering, you know, just chatting with my mom, just chatting. And she also like, and she never. And one really kind of cool thing that she did was she never really, if I was having trouble with something or somebody, she would always just say, well, maybe that's just the way that person is. Well, maybe that's hard. She always, she always has like, she always had sort of a, a counter, like a, she always presented that like, well, maybe I should, you know, don't take it too serious. I mean, she always, like now as I'm older, I'm like, wow, you know, she really, you know, she's always, she's one of these, it's fine, you know, like no matter what's going on, you know, it's fine, you know, <laughs> which is like also a little controversial, you know, it's like maybe not the best way to like face everything, you know, God bless my mother. But, but when I was a kid, she did really like that kind of like, it's fine, but all, you know, always sort of think about it. I mean, she really kind of did really help keep me, she helped me, you know, my, I didn't, you know, my teenage years were like hard, but, you know, I made it and I didn't, you know, I didn't do drugs when I was a kid, you know, and I didn't, you know, I, I, I saved all of my real, my real problems for my twenties and thirties. <laughs> yeah. But I think it was good that I had, a, I mean, that the fact that I had a pretty good run in my teenage years without like really hurting myself or getting too depressed, you know, was, was pretty crucial because it's, I think that I think that probably because I did, I did have that and I didn't, and that I wasn't depressed and that I wasn't a drug addicted then <laughs> I was, you know, and I wasn't drinking early and I wasn't, you know, I think the fact that I did have that kind of security and stability when I was younger, I think it really, it's, it's something that really, uh, it really helps me today to this day, you know. Yeah. I see kids who are 16, 17 years old and their, and their parents are a good friend to them. I see that. And it's, it's so valuable because it, it really is foundational. I mean, your mom, what your mom said about that's the way people are. I mean, maybe that's just the way he is. I mean, it's hard not to to think that she was very prescient about like your working relationship with Jay. I mean, like you kind of go, that's just the way that guy is. Like, I, you know, you didn't play into like, oh my God, you know, like, well, why did they do that? I mean, there was just, she never, I, I was never able to get any real traction in sort of this, in, in painting myself as a victim ever you know and she i just couldn't get any traction i'm in and and i think that was really good <laughs> yeah 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 i would imagine that that's something that that would apply to to raising teenager right now i mean that would be something yeah, that be... that's a, that's a tough one you know because we you know they do they live in a split household and yeah you know it's tough but but uh you know i got a i got a five-year-old too with my wife now so we got it it's a whole other whole other set of opportunities and growing experiences with them with that one too so yeah i think i think it's cool that i mean you have that perspective and i think also that i mean there must be working relationships you have with musicians that feel a little more intimate maybe that feel a little more that you're not as afraid to say like you know to say something um oh, oh no i've had yeah i've had all i've had i mean i've had um no, my relationship I, when I had the folk implosion together with John Davis, like that was like amazing. I mean, that was just like, I mean, it was, it was like, I mean, for me, I really, I really thought of it like as, as like a romantic relationship. And I, I, I thought that the, the, the act of songwriting with somebody where you're really truly communicating and working on songs is incredibly intimate. And it's so intimate that that's why like most people can't do it and don't want to do it. 
and like why a lot of other because it, it's incredibly intimate i mean it's just you have to just i mean i mean he and i ended up splitting for reasons that have you know nothing to do with music you know um but we're we're actually we've in the pan the pandemic's been sort of amazing for that too because we kind of found our way back to each other during the pandemic um in a sort of remote way um which has been great because i mean but uh but anyway we had this we had about five or six years or yeah where we were we had an incredibly intimate songwriting relationship and it was really amazing you know really amazing that collaborative thing and of course for you that was a muscle you hadn't really exercised that, that must have been that must have been pretty you were all in yeah yeah i really was i mean i was really you know he was just he's just he was just the right person right right temperament right you know but i i really i think that that's really i mean that's i mean i i, I really envy people who manage to have those relationships that can be sustained over over long periods of time you know like i i really i really envy that that's like a something that I'm, i allow myself to really to envy <laughs> you know, yeah because that that's just like it's like wow you know that what a what a what a what a wonderful thing if you could you know if you could if that's something that you could sustain over decades and then you know i mean that's really what that's what the real the, the amazing songwriting teams you know the people who i mean there's just music history is built on just songwriting teams really these people who really who really truly had some period of time where they where they really collaborated you know like lovers you know it's like a, yeah it's, it's nothing it's there's it's amazing i mean strummer and jones I, I mean that's that's one of the best i can think of and also i think the guys from squeeze like different and tilbrook i mean that is that is a marriage if i've ever seen it and even right even on their albums that are minor entries into their songbook, they're still fucking amazing. Cause you can, the synergy, yeah. uh, even when the songs don't work, they, they still work together. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, there's other, I mean, there's Lieber and Stoller, you know, the guys who wrote all the early yeah. rock and roll hits and, you know, there's, there's a lot of examples. Collaboration as a romance. I think it's, I think it's very true. Yeah. It's intense and it's, it's, it's almost too intense. <laughs> well, yeah. And then, and then when you go back to writing, having, having had that, and then you go back to writing alone or writing your, your record, do you prefer that collaborative process or is the, or doing it by yourself is okay too? I would take collaborative over anything if I could have it. Yeah. I would, I mean, absolutely. I mean, if, if I'm, I'm if we're just talking in terms of like, do I want to make music that can change the world or, or truly elevate? I mean, you're multiplying your own skills. If you have somebody who like, who can work, who you work with and you have a collaboration with, it's like, you're just multiplying it. And, and you make, you know, as great as like any song can be, if like someone, one person sits down and crafts it or something, there is nothing, there is absolutely nothing like a collab collaborations collaborations are, are fucking magical. And I, there's, there's, I mean, yeah, if I could have that, you know, but, but it's, but that's, but that's so, but it's, it's like, a, it's like a romance in that way too. It's like, I don't, you know, like with my wife and I, it's like, we had a door open up between each other where we allowed each other to communicate, you know, to each other in a deep way. But like, um, 
the the circumstances that made that allowed that to happen are like those two are incredibly that's you just don't it just doesn't happen <laughs> no i know it just doesn't happen and when those doors open you got it's like you got to move you got to like you got to get through that door because if you have that kind of communication it's an open it's, it's just like that songwriting thing it's just like you know i can't i even with people that i've worked with forever like jay and my sebado partner it's like you know they don't you, <laughs> You can have a great musical chemistry. You can work on stuff together. You can create great things. But can you? But you can you sit down next to each other, on like a piano bench or like right across from each other with two guitars, looking right into each other's eyes and sing like the first thing off the top of your head while you're looking at your your. No. <laughs> That's rare. Too fucking intimate. <laughs> it's really intimate. Yeah. Even it's even you describing intimate. it. Yeah. You even, I'm not a musician. But intimate. It's like, and men, and like we, you know, men have a really fucking hard time with that. Yeah. Um, doing it, I mean, a man and woman being able to do that unless they were sort of romantically involved would be also very challenging, you know, because it's, it's, it's a, you know, it is, it is so, such a tender, vulnerable, <laughs> you know, but at the same time being able to dismiss, dismiss each other's ideas, you know. Like, right. nah, nah, nah. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't like that one. You're like, oh, okay, that's cool. <laughs> you know, to not take those things personally. I mean, it's like, I don't even know, you know, it's just to, to have, you know, so I had, I had that, I had that window, I had that door kind of open with John Davis and I had that in the 90s. That was wonderful. And I've never had anything else like that. Poison my king, denial my queen. Away from my song, no longer mine, but this. And you found again, surround me like you did back when you blessed my wrist, reclaimed my gift. You're in my arms again.
write together again one day. Maybe that, you well, know. We are now, actually, we are. We're, we're, we're sort of, we started um, sending things that we respond to musically with each other. We're, cool. in, the mid, we're in the midst of doing a couple of things like that. And it seemed really like implausible to me when we started doing it. But then right away, it was like, huh, this is weird. Maybe we still have this thing. <laughs> like, even though we're like, you know, like, I guess we're about it. 800 miles apart right now so there are different kinds of ways to connect with your fans one of my students actually had dinner with you through some kind of thing i don't know what it was but he i don't know if you remember yeah, this yeah. thing yeah, and I, yeah. he loved it and he said you were just the sweetest and he he loved it his name is cameron yeah. and um but are, are some of these things too intimate or are they okay um they're okay yeah you know. They're okay. I mean, I did I did that as a as like a bonus thing for like a ticket thing. I was just encouraged to do it like pretty heavily. They were like, if you do this, you will make. I mean, it was at a period where I had nothing. I I actually, it was actually I I kind of had to do it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I had a I had a period where I wasn't touring with any of my bands, and you know, and I was just playing these very small shows, and uh, there was this thing like, no, people love it. You know, it's a hundred bucks, and then you go out to eat with them, and it's and it's great, and it was great. You know, it, it was really great. And I did get to meet, I had wonderful conversations with people every time I did it. It was always fascinating, really sweet and funny. And, you know, talking to people about, I mean, I mostly liked it because I got to know about other people, you know, I got to know about, and I just realized the one thread between all, especially the people who did that with me were like, they were just music fans. They weren't like, they weren't like Lou Barlow fans. I mean, I was part of what they liked, but these were people that were passionate about all kinds of stuff. I mean, all kinds of music. And you couldn't even predict what like, you know, they could be like, there's somebody could be like, Lou, I think you're the best. And you know who else I love? Michael Bublé, Bublé. You'd be like, what? <laughs> you know, and, and then something else could be more like, oh, I love you and Guided by Voices or whatever. So you, but you could never, you could never pigeonhole what these people were into just because they liked me or because they liked because they they were music lovers and they all had their own they all had their own loves and their own and they were remarkably unpredictable like you couldn't so I really loved it and then also just to get to know people too and then just make funny connections with them and tell stories or like what we're doing right now just talking so it's like but now that I'm and but the but the idea of doing that again I'm a little bit like I kind of don't <laughs> kind of like I don't know if I can go do that again I mean because I almost have a problem with like charging people for it you know I'm like yeah. oh, I don't know if I want to do that again I don't I feel kind of weird about it like maybe I should just boost my ticket prices <laughs> and, and, you know, I was like I wanted to keep everything really cheap I was like it should only be 25 bucks and they're like well most people are charging 50 for these kind of shows and I'm like I don't want to do that well if you're going to charge 25 you got to do something else I'm like oh I'm like I so I was like it's kind of this so maybe next time around I'll charge more for the shows and not do the make people pay to talk to me because they don't have to pay when I do those kind of shows I mean I sell t-shirts every night with the bands I play with you know with Sebado and when I do my own stuff so I, I always end up talking to people anyway yeah we we talk about intimacy and I think about when I was dating right before COVID hit I'd go out with girls and it was like they were strangers to me and go to dinner. And that it always felt to me like that's the kind of thing you do with someone that you love. That's the kind of thing you do with someone who you care about or know about. And mm -hmm. to meet somebody and have dinner with them for the first time you meet them is that just feels really too 
intimate to me. I, I mean, you know what I mean? It just feels like God's too close, yeah. you know? That, I, that would be so hard. Like, I, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm such a, I'm a total like serial monogamous kind of guy, but, but um, yeah, it would be hard because that was the thing with, with my wife and I, like we actually, we had been friends for kind of a while, you know, like we'd been friends for two to three years before the door opened between us and that you know so when the intimacy came then it seemed completely natural you know but um yeah it's that's terrifying <laughs> i'm sorry i know no i know thank you no it's horrible <laughs> it's horrible i mean it really is because and for a many for many different reasons but like if you meet somebody for the first time and you're eating with them. You're you're being you're being looked at in a way that's totally. Someone should know you before you break bread with them because it's it's weird to be scrutinized in, in that way. Um, but you know it, it's it's part of the part of the drill. But even for me as a professor, when my students want to come to my office hours and talk to me, mm-hmm. I almost feel I have to become that character. You know, I can't. I mean, I can talk to, like I'm talking to you, but it still feels. It still feels like I'm doing something. There's a performative element to it. So when you yeah. sit down with strangers, do you feel pressure to be that version of Lou Barlow, or can you just, or do you, can you just be yourself and it's easy? Um. Well, I guess I because I performed for so long. I guess you know. I mean, yeah. I want. I'm like it's. It's pretty easy for me to be nice. You know what I mean? It's pretty easy for me to put aside my. It's one kind of cool thing about it is actually that it really, I really do put aside my internal voice, you know, the chatter is diminished, you know, like I just yeah. like go, and then I, you know, and I, and I know that, I know it means something for me to be kind in those situations. So that's kind of, you know, that's sort of a, you know, cause you want to be kind, you know, it's, and it's, I mean, I, I want to be kind to people because they are vulnerable. And when they come to me in that kind of a situation, like where they paid money to sit with me, I'm like, I feel bad for them. <laughs> I, mean, I don't feel, it's like as uncomfortable as it may be for me, I feel far worse for the people doing it. Cause I'm like, how vulnerable they must. Cause there'd be these guys that'd be like, well, my wife bought me this dinner and I really didn't. <laughs> oh God. And I would just be like, oh God, you know? And then it would just be like, you know, it would be like, just to, to then it would just to be I would be like you know it's okay tell me about yourself you know just tell me about what you what, what you know what do you like what do you, you know what's going on and one of the and the first it was pretty funny in the first round of these dinners that I did I was on this tour and I I was I don't like to travel alone you know so I was like I asked my dad to come with me <laughs> so my dad did these dinners with me and it was fucking awesome because he's he's like just he's a total he's just you know he's like he would have been 78 at the time you know he's 80 now but he uh that was great because he'd be like where did your your first hear lose music for god's sake (laughs) (laughs) we had one dinner with like a like probably 10 guys like these 10 guys a lot of them were friends and they were like let's go eat with lou barlow you know i'm like it's all spend a hundred bucks and do this. I mean, they all had jobs, you know, and shit. And they were, 
the 10 guys and I had my dad with me. It was fucking great, man. My dad was like, pretty soon they were talking about football and shit. And Perfect. My dad, but then my dad got sick of, like like five days into that tour. I had to, I had to leave him at, at Duke Hospital in uh, North Carolina. <laughs> he, went, he went into the hospital and he got, he got scheduled for open heart surgery. That was, of course, these are the ways those things work. It's like they, they got him, they admitted him, and then his surgery was a whole week later. So in the meantime, I just went off and continued my tour. And then my mother came down and stayed with him down there. But anyway, that was fun. When I had my dad with me, it was fucking great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah your dad is the wingman who can sort of like that was like the ultimate wingman situation. Yeah. And I had I had Murph with Dinosaur Jr. do it with me too on some of them. That was pretty cool. But um but yeah, there I mean I definitely I definitely kind of slip into that. You know, I do have a I do have that performative kind of the performer aspect of it. It does almost feel like being a professor or some shit. It's funny. Yeah. Because you're holding you're holding court. Really. <laughs> yeah, they really are looking to you for the for this knowledge, you know, that they, they sort of assume that you or you know, or you just do, you know, like you're you're in control. You're you're controlling the you know, it's like playing a show. It's like I'm I'm doing the I'm playing the songs I want to play. I'm talking about what I want to talk about. I'm telling the stories I want to tell. And you know, yeah, it's interesting. That must be, yeah. The, the hard part for me has always been, I always felt like a fraud because if a student was asking me about a paper and then some other topics would come up and I love talking to my students and I love them, but I yeah. always feel like you have no idea how stupid I am in my real life. Like, <laughs> you have no clue. I, know that I, I thought that a lot about the people too that would see me and be like, be like, I mean, look at you. You're like, you're fucking, you, you got a life, you know, like you got, you got a really good job look at your fucking car like holy shit you know it's like and i can't tell them like i'm like i'm literally having these meals like so i can even fucking i mean i'm walking a tightrope i mean like the you know the reality of my life is like you know i i talk i thankfully have learned to talk about it or express it far less the older i get because it's so distasteful but it's but it's true it's like i i do i i regardless of the success I have or am perceived to have, I'm still walking a tightrope. And that's just the fucking, that's the flat out. That's just the truth. And that's just the way it is. That's, you know, that's my, you know, those are, that's due to my personal choices. You know, it's totally me. It has nothing to do with like, you know, um, my levels of success or anything like that. It's like, it just has to do with like a lot of bad decisions and, and a complicated life, you know? So, so I'm kind of, you know, yeah. So like people are talking to me and I'm just like, you know, I, like, I can't, you know, Jesus, you fuck. I'm like watching these people. I'm like, wow. And they're telling me about their life and their kids and stuff. I'm like, man, that sounds great. <laughs> yeah. And you're sitting here thinking I'm like, I'm awesome. You know? And I'm like, I'm like, but you're awesome. Wow. You've been married to that. Well, you know, like they'll, some couples will come in and be like, what a wonderful couple. Holy shit. And their kids are like, and their kids have graduated from, they're my age. They're a really nice couple. They obviously get along. They've got kids who are like in college. <laughs> you know, they go on trips, you know, dropping like, you know, they dropping like a hundred bucks to, to talk to me during dinner and then pay for my dinner. You know, I'm like, wow, this is, you're fucking great. <laughs> right. Like, you have made it. Like, like, like I, I'm working on it still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and did that during the pandemic, did the tightrope 
get rickety? Did, was there were there months where you were like, this is terrifying? Or did you feel pretty calm? Well, I kind of felt calm right from the outset because I realized I was like, this is bad. I was like, okay. I'm like, of all of the other times in my life where I'm sounding the sirens and like running around like a chicken with my head cut off and you know, having, you know, you know, basically having sort of episodes in front of my, my wife about money, oh my God, you know, like all this other shit, you know, it's like, and I'm like, wait a minute, now it's really real. I'm like, and now is precisely the time that I can't act that way at all. Now is the time that I can't do that. Right. Because, I mean, because I can't, because that's because I, I just had to make that decision. Like, am I that guy? Am I the guy right now that's gonna make everything worse for everybody around me? Just because like, so I just, I mean, I, went, I just, just, I just was like, well, this is what it is. I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm, all, I'm gonna fucking run up my credit cards. I don't give a shit. You know, I thought this, I thought this year, I thought last year was gonna be the year that I really dug myself out of a pretty huge hole. And I was like, wow, not at all. <laughs> not this year. <laughs> this year. Not this year, but then I was like, but then, then I was like, you know what? Um, I'm gonna file for unemployment, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna look for help. I've never looked for help in my life, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna do it now. I'm gonna file for unemployment. I'm gonna, and I'm gonna keep my fucking mouth shut about it. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm gonna, you know, I'll do my like online shows, and I'll fucking just fucking hope for the best, and like, like. I mean, it, that was a that was a really, really good, really good aspect of this. Is it just like it made me go like, wow, boy, complaining about money sure is lame. <laughs> it's like, wow, that's really, that's got to go. That's really got to go. That's 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 right at the top. That's it's going out to the trash with this one because <laughs> I can't carry this around. It's 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 one of the most deeply unappealing. <laughs> unappealing things you know in my little my little middle-aged man suitcase you know it's like that's truly truly gotta go yeah it's because i think it also getting back to what we were talking about before is that when you talk about it it feels like you're do you're doing something about it when in fact you're kind of just not you're just talking oh you're exactly right (laughs) exactly this like totally ties back into the therapy thing it's just like Wow. So the more I talk about how difficult it is for me that I don't, that I'm struggling right now, that's going to, is that, I mean, yeah, it almost feels, it's funny because I would do that in the past. I'd be like, I almost thought I was doing some sort of psychic job at that point. Like, well, by complaining about money, it will bring more money to me. Somehow. It'll because something, somebody will hear me, some force in the world is going to hear me you know, complaining about it and like practically on my knees in the middle of the night. And somehow something is going to save me from this. I mean, which actually it always generally did. I mean, always something always pops up. Something always saves me from extinction. But I think when the, but it's not, (laughs) but it's not complaining about it. That's definitely, that's one thing I've, I've absolutely learned now definitively. I'm like, Wow, yeah. Talking about it is, I mean, I ain't gonna, it was like that. Yeah, I just, I had to, just, I had to make up my mind real quick. Like it was like, you know, April last year, you know, like late March, early April. I'm like, shut the fuck up, dude. 
Shut the fuck up. This is, well, you, know, you know. I mean, you can, it's like you had that long conversation with somebody about it. And then you go online and check your bank account. And nothing's changed. <laughs> it's the same. So, oh. um, yeah. But I do think that there, there is, but at the same time, to be fair, it, 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 it does help, I think, to commiserate with a fellow comrade in the same business as you. You know, like if you got on the phone with Murph and you're like, fuck with the money situation. I mean, I think you could, because you guys get it, there's a, almost a shorthand that you don't have to you don't even explain. That seems like it's, it's okay. Yeah, it does. But then I, but my situation is so complicated. I mean, like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know. a little bit with, yeah. I mean, Murph and I just talk about, hey, did you ever get the check for this? <laughs> <laughs> been a couple of months, right? What's going on with that? I don't know. You want me to ask about it? Okay, I'll ask about it. <laughs> I'm usually like, I'm actually pretty good at telling him, like, just like, I think it's going to be okay, man. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Actually, I got pretty good at, at I, we got, I got pretty good at like, talking him down and being, I'm not to say, I don't, you know, this is, <laughs> I mean, he, he and I are, we're, I mean, yeah, we're brothers. I mean, we're just, so, we've been together for so long. Yeah, he seems like a nice guy. Yeah, he's a, you know, it's like he, I took him on a lot of, on these solo tours I did and, you know, he would drive and we would just talk and it was great. It was really nice hanging out with him, which I do anyway. <laughs> <laughs> We hang out. We definitely hang out. That's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah, that's nice to hear that. And I, you know, I used to write bios for record companies like like Warner Brothers. I did the built the spill for them, and I did the one for Polygram. I did a bunch of these things, and they would never fucking pay me. And I was I was young. I was like 24, 25. And Lou, the hardest thing in the world was for me to make a phone call and say, "Hey, you know that thing I did for you two months ago that I haven't gotten paid for." I it would it would like I'd be sweating and I'd put it oh, off. God, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do know what you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> so hard. There's so many things like that where it's just like okay, and then I then I'll like I'll get worked up about something and then I'll then by the time that I do ask for it, I'm practic I'm just a dick. Right. <laughs> then, Who's a dick? What the fuck? What can I pay that guy? <laughs> wow what a jerk i i remember i said to a friend of mine i said i'd rather get punched in the face than have to ask someone to pay me because it was so hard for me to do (laughs) so hard yeah having to ask for money that you're owed money that you are owed is hard to ask for that you worked for that you worked for um but but i gotta say i'm happy to report in my 50s, I've gotten really good at it. I mean, it took me 30 years. Yeah, well, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel better about it too? Do you, are you okay doing that now? Yeah, I'm getting better. Yeah. Email's great. Email's great. That didn't exist back then. No. <laughs> you had to talk to a human person. <laughs> I still, telephone calls are like, actually, I've gotten, I've gotten pretty good at telephone calls in the last, I think, actually the last couple of years, like because of my kids. You know, like when it comes down to my, like my kids' welfare or following up on stuff, it's just like, 
hello. <laughs> <It's> right. Like, <laughs> like, that's definitely like, what is up? You know, <laughs> what's going on now? You know. So that's 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 definitely, yeah. That helped. That that certainly makes you grow up, right? You kind of go like, okay, I got to because they can't do it. I got to do it for them. They can't do it, and I got to find out, and I got to be there. And I can't. You can't let that shit. That shit is like, can't let that slide. No, God, no, no way. <laughs> what do you feel uh, okay about embark? I mean, I don't, no one's announced anything yet, but do you think that there is going to be? Are you going to head back on the road? And we were talking about that at the beginning of the interview about getting back out there. Is that is that going to happen soon or? September or so. September. So it seems possible, right? Yeah, I mean, it does. It does seem possible. And Murph and Jay and I are all practicing in like in the same room together right now. We're all vaccinated and, um, <clears throat> you know, I'm strolling back into Jay's house. I don't know. It feels kind of normal. It's the first normal. step. <laughs> yeah. Definitely the first step, you know? And so, yeah, I, I hope, I do hope it happens just because I, that would be good to have a job again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it does it does make you think about those intimate dinners we talked about? Like, maybe that's not going to happen anytime soon. You know, in terms of like selling merch and shaking people's hands, and you know, I don't know about that. I don't know what that looks like. Yeah. Elbow bump. Well, at least I'm I'm touring with Dinosaur Junior, which is such a. I mean, like touring with Dino is like total isolation anyway. Because we're just we're like in a bus, and then we go to we we arrive at a club at like you know eight o'clock in the morning. I walk into the club like with a guitar and a notebook, and I just sit in a corner and write all day. And then I don't go out. I don't go meet. I mean, Jay is not really Jay is just not like the. He's not the fan guy. He's not the go meet the fans guy. Yeah. And because he doesn't do it, I'm like I don't want to be the guy like I'm the fan. I'm the go meet the fans guy. I don't want to do that. It's like it's if if like if you know if Jay is. If that's where Jay is putting it, if that's where it's going to be, I'm happy. I mean, I don't want to, you know, I want to be a part of the, I want to be in the, I want to be in the, I want to be, I want to be a part of that vibe. <laughs> if that's, if yeah. that's the vibe, then like, I'll be a part of that vibe. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to try to get out there and look like, looking like I'm trying to prove to everybody that like I'm the accessible member of the band or anything like that. When it comes to Dinosaur Jr., I just don't want to do that. Sebado totally different when i play solo of course i want to i want to talk to people i want to be there and thank people and all that shit and but i'm not gonna be doing that for a little while so yeah well it does feel it does feel it's like impossible again you're right it does i mean i don't know i think i would still probably go to a show with a mask on probably i mean i i might do that we should probably just start doing i mean i would just assume that it would be like asia yeah because i didn't you know i mean i've gone to asia enough you know for the, over the last 25 years it, it's like they wear masks and there's shields in front of the shields that are not bullet shield, bulletproof shields in front of cashiers and people keep a distance. And when they, and when they're sick, they fucking wear a mask around town, you know, and, and they just do that. And because they have to, when you go into any airport in the, in Asia, it's like, it's just festooned with these big things like this kind of illness is now advancing across the world and so is this one and so is this one and now you're going to walk through an infrared you know slash metal detector you're it's not a metal but it looks like a metal detector but it's it's registering your body temperature and that's that's been happening for 
you know, decades. I think that's right. Yeah. And it's, and that's just where it's, it's like, you just, you have some, you know, somebody walks through a fucking one of those things at LAX and they have a, you know, 105 temperature and their, their body's just radiating red, like maybe pull them over. I don't know. Right. Check them out. <laughs> yeah. You it know. wouldn't be a bad thing to have in place. I mean, it seems like <laughs> we could benefit. Idea. You know, <laughs> I mean, um, you know, I mean, speaking of Asia and before I let you run, I, did that weird thing that happened with dinosaur, where there was a, something that was a hit in Japan, did that increase the demand for you guys to come over or was that just an anomaly that was strange? An anomaly. It, what, what it was, was a, a very a heavily watched sort of series of programs. It was almost like a, some kind of like fight show or something. Yeah, yeah. And someone had just, I mean, it was like an incredibly popular fight show. And they had just stuck one of like sort of a, uh, sort of a real deep cut from one of the dinosaur one of the one of the dinosaur junior records i don't think even murph is on i think it's like neither murph or jay or murph or myself were on this record at all it just happened to be in the credits and because it's in the credits it registers because of you know of the way that things are now like the way that computers can or what do you call that? Just the, the algorithm, whatever. It's like they, yeah. they, they see that the song is there. It registers as a play. So even though it's at the end of something and could very well be, you know, it's just, it's running at the bottom of these credits for a, you know, a weekly fight program. It registers as a play, as a, as a, an actual play. So it did, it, there was like this incredibly inflated, but it had nothing to do. I mean, I, it was great for Jay. I mean, yeah. It'll definitely be it'll definitely be you know a little bit of change in his pocket, but um, but even then, I mean, it's you know, it's it, it's like a you know, it's a YouTube play basically. Yeah. So, um, but no, the answer is no. There was no sudden no sudden demand to bring you guys over to town. No, not any demand to play that song or any kind of nothing like that. Yeah, it was interesting. It was a, it was a really weird story. I thought it was kind of cool that that can happen, but that, I know it was a pretty yeah, it's cool that it can happen. I mean, it's definitely first. You know, people who, you know, just in terms of royalties and songwriting stuff and just the way that, you know, are, are kind of making money as a musician is just gets more, it just changes, you know, it's just how it's been evolving and changes. And so for, you know, for, for those, for people who ha that happens to, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> that is cool. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I enjoyed, I enjoyed talking to you. Thanks for, thanks for taking the time and, and doing no this. Worries. No worries. Thanks. Thanks for doing it. Yeah. I hope you'll come back on then. I will. Cool. <laughs>
and give them to all your friends who have different format needs because every friend has a different format need. You know, there's like some vinyl-only friends. They'll only do vinyl. Then there's those digital folks. I'm not going to walk you through all the formats, I promise, but you know what I mean. Uh, So cater to your friends' needs using Lou Barlow's album, Reason to Live. And while you're at it, why not pick up the new album from Dinosaur Jr.? It's called Sweep It Into Space, and it's fantastic. AlexGreenOnline.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with me. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter, at Ember's Editor, or follow me on Instagram, at Ember's Podcast, or go old-fashioned. Email me, editor, at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Go to BombshellRadio.com, find out what makes our radio station tick. And by the way, in case you didn't know, Stereo Embers the Podcast is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, leave us a rating if you wouldn't mind, and uh, tell all your friends, okay? And uh, my hope, I don't know if this is going to happen soon or sometime in the future, which could also qualify as soon, uh, but we will be doing a Stereo Embers the Podcast episode live in a club with a band in real life. (laughs) Details forthcoming. It might be a little while, uh, but that's something to look forward to. Put that on your calendar of future events that may or may not happen in an indeterminate month. Maybe. Probably, but also maybe. We don't know. We're working on it. I shouldn't even have said anything, uh, but I want you guys to know that our people are trying to put something together And we're trying to do that in the safest way possible. Why even say anything? I'm wondering now. Uh, It's so flaky, isn't it, what I just said? It's so California. You can tell I'm born in this state. We're kind of doing this thing. It's going to happen. And it's going to be super rad. When's it going to be? I don't know. But it's going to be great. I hope you're there, bro. Don't let me down. Okay, cool. Can I put it on my calendar somewhere? Um, No, but it's going to happen, man. It's going to be great. Okay, great. Can I just maybe like a month or a... No, I don't know, man, but it's going to be rad, so make sure you're there. Uh, okay. Thanks, bro. Uh, that's, that's basically what I'm doing to you right now, and uh, I'm sorry about that, but something definite will happen, maybe. Oh, for God's sakes. Let's finish the show with a longer listen to the title track from Lou Barlow's new album, Reason to Live. Enjoy it, and thank you, as always, for listening to Stereo Embers the Podcast only right here on Bombshell Radio. They pay to take control, so let them have control. You and I got a rock to roll. And when they make demands, we'll be holding hands, strong as any wall that stands. Go ravage the earth To make it a home The belly beast, yeah The hunger makes it cruel We're still walking 
same Some people think that life's a game Hunger makes you cruel 